0: missy how are you doing today
1: doing pretty good it's Sweet. all
0: good in the sisterhood too. oh there you go <laughs> yeah it's not always just good in the brotherhood it's also always good in the, hopefully it's always good in the sisterhood so um well uh question for you um if you could identify with a character from tolkien's universe specifically maybe a character from the lord of the rings who do you find like a strong connection with and, and why?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really um good question. Um, there's so many good and strong characters in the books, as we know, um, each with their own strengths. And I, I think that's one of the great things about the the books themselves yeah, is for sure. there's not one hero mm. just as there's not one antagonist. Um but I don't know. I always I've always been fascinated with Aowen. Um, and I just feel like there's a lot of good depth to her character. Yeah, yeah. Layers there and um, just the heroic uh, spoiler alert the heroic <laughs> yeah. uh, act that she gets to be a part of uh, at the climax of the story is very yeah, very attractive, very epic.
0: Yeah. Oh, I've I've always I've always been a huge Eowyn fan. I know like there's I don't know if you know this, but at least among guys, fans of the Lord of the Rings, it's like are are you the Arwen camp or are you the Éowyn camp? Uh, yep. And for Aragorn's sake, because he truly loves Arwen, like of course there. But as far as like female go- goes, I mean I, I know in the book Ar- uh, Arwen doesn't get that much attention at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Éowyn uh she's just just awesome. Um I one of my favorite scenes from the movies is uh where She's, you know, Mary's waiting to like get picked up, and she swings by and says like, "Ride with me." Uh, and then later, how she says like, "Um, like S- stay with me, and we'll, you know, like we'll." Yeah. It's just yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Especially when it comes to like relating to the hobbits among the female characters, she's probably uh the strongest in her mm. friendship with the hobbits. Yeah, yeah. And just overall, I mean, who. Who wouldn't want to be a Hobbit, um, loyal and true as they are? And so, um, she's like the closest, the closest advocate of the Hobbits, yeah. um, in in many ways among the females. So, um, so yeah, that's I've always had a strong connection with her. Also, not to get too far into it, but um, uh, a component of the story that's not really in the books is the whole dynamic of her and Faramir in the houses of healing on yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the return of the king. Um, and I just love that, that little side story too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she, I think, um, so Tolkien, you know, of course the author of the Lord of the Rings, something he says, I think it's in the preface of the book, but he's frequently known for saying um, or is frequently repeated, I should say, that he is not a fan of allegory, right? And he did not write the Lord of the Rings as right. an allegory. Um, although I kind of want to p- push back on that sometimes. Um if you're like, mm, but, but she kind of did. Uh, but that Eowyn, I feel like, s- truly also represents a strong Marian figure, mm-hmm. right? That um, the the Witch King, who really represents a very satanic, demonic, uh, it t- takes a woman. It takes. Uh, Mary, you know, to crush the head of Satan, it takes yeah. Eowyn to crush the head, right, of, of the Wish King. So that strong, clear Catholic theology that's coming out in Tolkien, I think Eowyn is a, a strong example of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, what would you say?
0: Um, that's a good question. Um, I thought actually in the monastery, Father Fred, um, who you know, and uh, Father Fred here, he's our, like our gardener. He's so so joyful. He's he's such a great guy to get to know. But one dinner, he and I sat and just like typecasted everyone in the monastery as characters from the Lord of the Rings. Um, and we actually got kind of got to an agreement. I definitely identify with Frodo. I think a lot, um, both like driven for a goal. You know, like once I'm given a task, and that's kind of we talked about strength Finder, stuff like that. Like kind of achiever. This kind of that like if I'm given a task, I'm gonna hold myself to that um but i also am very aware of like my own inner struggles and i i actually identify with kind of frodo's constant back and forth with the desire to do good but Mm. the temptation to do evil being right right there and sometimes giving in um even when you're on the brink like you have the ability to destroy it just just do it um but uh and and sometimes feeling like maybe the the loner in, in that journey. Mm. Um, but at the same time, blessed, um, like he, he says, Sam, like this task was appointed to me or like, or, uh, Galadriel tells them that like, this is for you, Frodo, that like, as my vocation, like that's kind of how I also see like, yeah, Frodo being the ring bearer is his vocation and me being monk is mine. So I can kind of carry that with him. Um, yeah,
1: so, that's so. awesome.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, uh, a little background on Tolkien. We So we both uh, took a class back in college um, with Father Wolfston, who's a monk here, who's like a, I mean, yeah, huge legend. Tolkien, he, absolute legend. Uh, he has, like, he comes in with like a real forged <laughs> sting, uh, and then he goes, I will, you know, he's great. Anyways, he speaks Klingon too, if, if you ask him. But um, yeah, that class really taught us a lot about um, the true nature of Tolkien's theological background and and why so um missy if you just like what what's some of the the background for Tolkien personally that kind of leads to how he wrote
1: yeah yeah for sure I mean I think it's it's awesome to delve into uh Tolkien who he really was his perspective on his own writing um because I think the Lord of the Rings as a um like artifact of pop culture really Mm -hmm. is ingrained in pop culture um especially during our era of growing up yeah yeah um and i was thinking about this like as as wonderful as the peter jackson movies are um there is just going off of the movies you can kind of reach this point of being a a kind of a surface level view Mm. of of the trilogy of who tolkien really was um not to knock the movies, of course, because they do do a really good job of reflecting what's in the books, but, um, yeah, I think growing up, like, watching the movies was definitely part of, like, the lexicon of, (laughs) uh, of childhood, um, and it wasn't until really, like, coming, coming here to St. Vincent and talking with people and, um, just the ways I know, like, lord of the rings often came up in bible study oh yeah yeah um the the themes of it and uh then like the summer between sophomore and freshman and sophomore year i was working in a concession stand a concrete concession stand all summer and that was when i finally sat down and read through Mm. the hobbit all three of the lord of the rings i think i read um uh is it children of current yeah yeah um and part of the silmarillion <laughs> and so i just knocked it out I, there were too many people at st vincent who yes, would yes. rave about the lord <laughs> of the rings and i knew that i knew it from the movies but like not from like a personal level yeah yeah and i think i really connected with um connected with the story most when i when i got into the books and was reading it and then um then, of course, there was this legendary class that we knew about. Yes. And um, I remember, like, before uh, registration time, like, there was that anticipation oh, yeah. of, are we going to get into this class? Everyone
0: wanted to get into this class.
1: Um And, yeah, so I guess going back to your question, not to stray too far away from, from just the foundation of Tolkien, I mean, the, all of that hype was definitely worth the hype um, yeah. to, to delve into who he was because, um, he, um, he was raised a faithful Catholic, um, as we know. And, um, yeah, maybe, maybe you could speak a little bit to his, his upbringing. Yeah.
0: So, um, he was born in South Africa. Um, his dad was in the army, um, stationed down there and, uh, his dad died when he was very young. Um, And then he and his younger brother and his mother moved to England after that. Um, And then she passed away pretty shortly after that. And um, she left uh, Tolkien and his brother under the care of the local parish priest, um, whose name is escaping me at the moment. I I think it was
1: Father Francis.
0: Okay, that sounds right. Um, And that's that's how they were raised. I mean, um, in uh, a, a small village for a long time. Um, which is why he loves, that's why the Shire is so central to uh, Tolkien. is It's like that true English parish, mm-hmm. um, the rolling green hills, the quiet life, because um, that's how he was raised. And um, so and he became a server for, with his brother for the priest, you know, all through his young life. And um, he never strayed from his faith, you know. Um, even when he went to university and his wife was Protestant, actually when they oh, met. I don't
1: think I realized um, that.
0: And that was like a big thing is I think the priest was like, No, you can't like, there is enough uh you know, like you need to marry a Catholic. And she I think she was evangelical and her parents were against it for a while, but eventually like she then converted and then and they got married. Um and he continued to profess his strong faith and when he went uh to World War One and was in the mm-hmm. trenches, um, there's record of his letters back to his wife um, and to his friends like Lewis or the other um, guys he met at Oxford who were the Inklings the ones who he did uh, uh, his write short stories with about co- encouraging them specifically in faith um, and that he was saying like it is you know faith in, such as the rosary or scripture or um, the Eucharist even I want to talk about that later too um, that kept him in those really hard hard moments in the trenches.
1: Yeah and. So much of the Lord of the Rings has to do has to do with um sacrifice, especially sacrifice of oneself. And I don't think most people realize even just the sacrifice that his family went through yeah. in order to practice their faith. Because mm. um I believe, you know, after after Tolkien's father died, um, his mother was actually a convert to Catholicism. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And um and the rest of her family was not Catholic. And so that was the reason why this um, this priest ended up taking the boys in was because their family basically disowned them. That's right. Um, yeah. Because Remember. of their faith. And just to see that foundation of um, that, that example that his mother set for them mm-hmm. of of sacrificing for something that you love and believe is truly valuable, um, I think that really had an impact on Tolkien and the way he thought about um, about that theme that then came into his books.
0: Yeah, abs- and sacrifices from the very beginning is central. And so yeah, I'd love to start, kind of look at some of those themes. So like I said, Tolkien said he's not a fan of allegory and that Lord of the Rings isn't to be an allegory. And I guess from the strictest sense that allegory is like we're one thing that sh- something you write has a one-to-one ratio of something outside of it mm-hmm. okay true that's that's not what Tolkien wrote but to say that things in his works do not represent things in our world or specifically uh Catholic theology uh that is true that definitely happens so 100% um so yeah uh what was one of your favorite uh things that we talked about that you saw
1: yeah well I know um a big one that uh, Father Wolfson kind of led the class off with was uh, T- Tolkien, Tolkien's um, theory which really then became a theology of subcreation. Mm-hmm. Um and I love that and it was expressed in many different ways within his book but um, books basically for Tolkien Tolkien, um, Tolkien was really fascinated with the fact that um us being created in the image and likeness of God we had an ability um as as human beings created in the image and likeness of God to participate in his act of creation mm-hmm. um so much so that he he really thought that um the the foremost way that we could express our humanity and um our our identity as beings with living souls was to participate in that act of creation by using our creative gifts. Yes, yeah. And um, creating, for him, he created an entire world.
0: Yeah, right. Um,
1: language and genealogy, mythology. And um, so for, yeah, for him, that was his way of um, kind of becoming a sub-creator. Mm-hmm. Saying, God gave me this mind and this gift, and so I'm going to y- use that to make something... Um, wonderful and beautiful.
0: Yeah, and in in the books, um, it is when especially the, the hobbits, like their little creative, uh, especially music and, and, and poetry, right. Sometimes those are the strongest weapons yeah. against the enemy. Like, especially music and song um, often lightens their hearts or re- reinvigorates their spirits or comforts them. Um, and it's this participation in the creative work of God that then dispels the darkness. Yeah. Um, so Tolkien really kind of seeing that guy entrusting to creation an ability to also create, mm-hmm. we have a duty to continue to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so, yeah, I, uh, one theme, uh, and actually to go back to sub-creation, that, um, this is outside of Lord of the Rings, this is in the Silmarillion, but the creation story itself of Middle-earth is yes. so awesome. If you yeah. don't read anything in the Silmarillion at least read the creation account um, because in it Luvatar or, or God uh, for Middle Earth um, creates through music and it doesn't it isn't just he begins the, t- the melody he begins the tune but then his cre- it overflows into like the, the Valar or mm-hmm. the, the angels and they begin it, in harmony and it's that sub-creation so he's allowing them to create with him uh, under himself but with him that then creates the rest of Middle-Earth. Yeah. So creation itself, Middle-Earth exists, bought on this very principle.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember first reading that account, and it just, like, blowing my mind. Um, just just the way he weaves together so many different types of art mm-hmm. um, to just to reflect that beauty of creativity Yeah. is incredible. Um, and also I think it's really cool, too, because, like, um, even... Even the whole theme of of music and and God singing over creation is very present in the Bible, too. Mm, Um, What is it, Zephaniah, um, that talks about the Lord, like, singing over us. And I think that's, like, pretty prevalent, too, in a lot of, like, Mm. modern, like, praise and worship, even. Yeah, yeah. Um, That that concept of, like, um, God will write your story and and sing your song, Mm. and, and we get to be be a pencil in his hand with that so
0: yeah yeah the songs reflect that too you know creation sings with joy let the rivers clap their hands and the uh, hills ring out with joy right as if creation itself continues to sing um so yeah that's it's, uh awesome um uh, another another really strong uh theme that comes out uh and this is it was certainly a christian theme and this aspects of strong his strong Catholicism but it's the idea of something called you catastrophe, um, which basically is where um, something looks like, inevitably horrible, something that there's no possible good that could come out of it, or um, that ev- everyone and everything is doomed, but then somehow, some way, something changes, or someone acts um, kind of maybe more than they normally would, or with an extra uh, zeal or courage. And it changes in the last minute and something beautiful happens. Um, and even sometimes the bad thing might actually end. Like something something bad could happen, but something good unexpectedly comes out of it. Um, obviously, for us, the greatest catastrophe is the cross. Yeah. Right? Because for, for Jesus and for his disciples, it was over. It looked over, right? Death had come. They buried him in the tomb. But... Then, unexpectedly, three days he rose again, and evil was triumph. Evil looked like it had triumphed, but in fact, good triumphed over evil um, forever. Uh, and there are tons of instances of eucatastrophe um, in the Lord of the Rings, but
1: yeah, yeah, I think you... I think if I recall, like the the direct translation of that phrase is a happy catastrophe, mm, yeah, which yeah. which seems so contradictory, but yeah, if if we look at at especially the gospel Like that is what the resurrection is Yeah, yeah. Um, It's the contradiction of the cross The contradiction of the resurrection Then um, I think like G.K. Chesterton calls it Like the greatest joke Basically yeah, yeah. that ever was played Um And Yeah I just I love that concept In The Lord of the Rings and I think what's so brilliant about how He uses it in The Lord of the Rings is You expect in many movies and pieces of literature you know it's going to have a happy ending mm-hmm. and it's it's very predictable in that way if, if you look at any like sports movie yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what's going to happen but he, he, crafts, he crafts these instances in The Lord of the Rings and even The Hobbit in such a way that when it happens you're still surprised yeah. because of the way it happens and um, just how someone or something comes through and I think a lot of that is because he he weaves in kind of this thread of divine providence, mm-hmm. and there's all these overlapping layers of how things happen. Even if you just look at like how the Lord of the Rings ends, yeah, yeah. um, y- you can see that there's so many intertwining threads that it, it's not like it was just one person or one event. Yeah, it's all these things mm-hmm. working together. Um, that have to be through a force that can't be seen Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah and uh I think Gollum like referring to the end of the Lord of the Rings right that's he's his presence there at the very end at Mount Doom it really I think reflects the strong hand of providence and this idea of youth catastrophe um and Gandalf actually comments on that before right as kind of the prophet Mm -hmm. right that um you Frodo says, "Oh, it's a pity that Bilbo didn't give him while he had a chance, kill him while he had the chance," and that actually conversation is my favorite part in the whole series. But then Gandalf says, "I believe that in my heart, Gollum still has some part to play."
1: Yeah. And
0: that is shown that if Gollum, the one who he tried to take the ring, he tried to kill them in Shelob's Lair, everything. If he wasn't there at the very end, it would have been over. Yeah. Because Frodo took the ring, and Sam couldn't do anything about it. But Gollum being there You know, bit the ring off of Frodo's finger And then in that action Ended falling in and destroying the ring So it seemed like all hope was lost And that Somehow God, or Luvatar Or whatever you want to call it, Providence Worked out in even The bad, evil presence of Gollum Still a Mm. a good victory And um, to reflect on for ourselves You know, we think about Oh yeah, the catastrophe of the Cross Obviously that's a great connection But like Reflect on our, your own you catastrophes I think, yeah. like, um, where you thought there's no way that God could work something good out of this. Mm. Or I have fallen way too far away from grace um, or relationship with him or with other people. Like, there, Where is redemption for me? Um, and the truth of it is that um, there is nothing beyond redemption and that God is working you catastrophes all over every day and that is, like you said, a happy catastrophe. That's something that should hopefully bring us to joy. And when mm-hmm. we reflect and look, like, wow, look at where God's hand actually was in all of that.
1: Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's a great connection.
0: So, think about your year catastrophes, and we'd love to hear about it. Actually, comment below. What's your year catastrophe? Um, yeah. Uh, how about the sacraments? That's so. That's very obviously. Some of these things can be like, okay, well, nice Brother Francisco, Missy. Like, they're still pretty, like, benignly Christian, you know. Mm-hmm. some Catholic stuff. Well, the sacraments. We talked last time with Brother Finbar about the Eucharist. We're going to keep on talking about the sacraments because they're awesome. But um, some, some of them are more subtle in the Lord of the Rings. Some of them are a little bit more obvious. True, but, yeah. Um, want, want, want to talk about any or one of them or
1: yeah. one that yeah. maybe
0: strikes you more?
1: Well... I can think of two right off the bat, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the one that I think is maybe less obvious and sometimes missed. Um, but we talked about in, in our class. Um, the Sacrament of Confession. Mm-hmm. Um mm. pretty, pretty cool. Um and it also ties in too with kind of the the archetypes of the different characters in the books. Um, specifically Aragorn kind of being a priestly figure. So, yeah. um Right at... It's it's at the... It's at the end of the fellowship or the beginning of the two towers? In
0: the m- With... movie, it's the end of the fellowship, but in the books, it's the beginning of the two towers. Okay.
1: So, um, there's various points in the book, in the book right, where um, characters are tempted by the power of the ring, mm-hmm. and um, at, at this point, particular point in the story, um, Boromir, who is... Um, he is... Um, he's from shoot gondor gondor, gondor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um he's tr- he's part of the fellowship and traveling with the hobbits and there's this instance where he becomes overcome with lust for the ring and he tries to take the ring from frodo um but before before this whole catastrophe is mm. accomplished um the, the orcs that's when the orcs come in Yeah, and they, they battle with the, the members of the Fellowship, and Boromir actually ends up getting wounded um, beca- in the process of like def- defending yes. Frodo. Um, and as he's laying there dying, he realizes what, what he's done um, and, and how his, his lust for power had overtaken him. And, and there's this just beautiful conversation between Aragorn, who's also a member of the Fellowship, um, and this priestly figure, mm-hmm. um, who who has this exchange with Boromir, and Boromir basically confesses what he had done, and um, Aragorn um, gives him what essentially is like absolution. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's just a really cool witness to the the healing power of confession, um, and also kind of how Boromir in in turning around defending the Hobbit, the, the Hobbit's kind of his his way of. Um, doing penance and showing his love um and love conquering sin
0: That's um after going through that class and revisioning that scene kind of as as a confession it just totally changes it it also really i think redeemed the character of boromir for me because i think for a long time he was just kind of always like oh he's the he's the one who fell he's the one who couldn't hold it together whereas i mean we're, we're all Boromir really yeah. um, when the ring is dangled in front of us we might resist it for a, a while but probably at some point we, we want to grasp for it um, but that yeah he, he truly repents um, and, and very humbly too in that final yeah. conversation um, and it's, it's not just because he's dying I think some people are like oh you know he's dying it's like now he realizes like mm-hmm. no he he yeah. comes to that realization before and that's why he starts to defend the hobbits mm-hmm. um and then this is kind of the the final i guess the climax of of his mm-hmm. redemption there um for uh another another one to me that um is maybe also a little bit more subtle um is actually the sacrament of confirmation Um ah. So, after before before that scene, um, the Fellowship had been in Moria, and Gandalf uh, fought, fought the Balrog and disappeared into the mines, and they all had to flee, and then they went to Lothlorien, mm-hmm. where they were able to rest and recuperate. But before they leave, um, Galadriel closed them all in the cloaks of Lothlorien. Um, and that... By doing so, she she gives them all a special gift, too, on top of, like, all these clothes. That's right, To Frodo, um, the gift of the light of Arendelle, um, to Legolas, a new bow, to Gimli, the uh, strands of her hair, to Sam, um, seeds for plants, Um, and that, I think, really represents the gifts of the spirit being Mm. given to each of them in their needs. Um, She sees the need that they will all individually have later, like, um, Gimli has a very humble need, right? But Frodo, he needs the gift of courage, and that light will kind of shine when his courage has gone out. Um, and uh, Sam, it's kind of—I uh, don't know—his his, really, his, he's truly wise, but like so, like, like an, a layman's wise, like He's a commoner's mm-hmm. wisdom. But his comfort, his counsel to Frodo, is was always this idea of hope. So I and for actually a tradition, um, back in the old, the old times, um, for confirmation, it was usually with baptism. And so the, the yeah. garment that was cloaked the clothed over uh, newborn when they were baptized was also a clothing of confirmation. Okay. Um, so by cloaking them in her people, it's almost like clothing them in the Holy spirit and then giving them the gifts, um, which I think is, is pretty cool.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I had forgotten about that one. Yeah.
0: So, um, but yeah. Uh, do you want to do the
1: (laughs) the one (laughs) the the one yeah the one that maybe some of our listeners have have heard about um but definitely is is a great reminder um is the eucharist Mm -hmm. um you know throughout throughout the the journey of of the hobbits um on their on their way to destroy the ring they are strengthened by this bread given to them um It and it's called lembus bread and it it's even if they don't have a lot it only takes a little bit Mm -hmm. to strengthen and sustain them and give them life along the way um and it's just it's such a clear parallel between between um you know earth between that uh symbol and and the eucharist which is not a symbol
0: right yeah no absolutely right <laughs> um that yeah the the eucharist is is strengthening us spiritually and and the, the catechism teaches even the smallest particle contains all of christ so that we don't we also don't need you know we don't need a full host you know just the smallest part will completely nourish our souls mm-hmm. and in the early church um the eucharist another uh way to describe it, was bread for the journey yeah um, and that's exactly what they need and that's what lembus is mm-hmm. for them it is bread for their journey um and at least for frodo and sam that journey is really reflects the spiritual journey of you know the person that at times they're doing well and they're together and they know where they're going other times they're completely lost mm-hmm. in the swamp or they're captured by the enemy um but this this lembas bread just kind of sustains them um which is yeah again what the eucharist is doing for our soul yeah um and tolkien actually i have a quote here Um, he wrote a letter, um, to, uh, it might actually have been to Father Francis. I don't remember. Um, but talking about how the Eucharist sustained him, um, Ah. when he was, you know, kind of experiencing a lot of dryness and I won't read the whole thing, but the most, uh, quoted part of this letter, um, is actually, I think he wrote multiple, um, but, uh. He says, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the most blessed sacrament. Um, so he himself had a strong, strong devotion and belief in the, the real presence of the Eucharist, which um, if you want to know scriptural basis for that, check out our last episode. Um, but, and that's why t- I see it as something that is present all the way through this mm. story. You know, it's, it's constantly there, constantly um, nourishing the hobbits when everything else kind of goes um the last sacrament to me that's like, very obvious is the anointing of the sick mm-hmm. um which uh after eowyn like we talked about at the beginning after she had destroyed the witch king um and mary the hobbit had helped her in that process by being close to the witch king and actually engaging in battle they contra- they received contract or exposed to it's called like the black breath oh, right yeah. mm-hmm. um and because of that their their souls basically are like fading and like yeah. being eaten almost away from them so that there's nothing externally that's actually i mean Awen has like a broken arm and mm-hmm. uh Awen like or mary like a bruised wrist or something like that but that wouldn't be enough to kill them but they're still mm-hmm. like dying and they're, they're, like they're cold and almost beyond um but who comes to save them? Again, Aragorn, right? This priest. Um, and he comes with his special healing remedy, Ethelus, or mm-hmm. King's Foil, which um, has this, he understands. It. Everyone else thinks it's a weed, or, you know, what, but he knows its healing properties. Mm-hmm. But it's not just that, but it's actually in the books, because this is very, very missed in the movies. It's only ex- in the extended edition for like 30 seconds. But it, he actually like speaks to them hmm. and calls them back yeah. to, from the brink, of, from this like dark exposure um, that they have like almost no will to live or no mm-hmm. ability to. And he he calls them from from this darkness, from this brink of death, um, and restores them to life. Um, which in the book the scene is it's called the House of Healing, I think. I yeah. Um, and oh yeah, it's 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 so good. And again, it reflects. That whether, you know, Tolkien was saying allegory here or not, mm-hmm. he was the power of the sacraments to restore life to our souls was being very clearly reflected in Tolkien here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I love, I keep thinking about what you said in the beginning about catastrophe and how that, um, that plays into our own lives. Um, and with these examples, too, like, yeah, I just continue to encourage people to think about how how these can apply to you as well. Yeah. Um whether it is whether it is the the sustenance of the Eucharist and all of us being on our own mm. spiritual journeys, um like there are true stories of the saints who literally subsisted on yeah. a crumb of the Eucharist for like an entire month. It's that crazy. was all yeah. they ate. Um Likely we don't need to go that extreme, (laughs) but even still, like it's, it's so real. Yeah. And, and with the anointing of the sick too, like I, I've had personal experiences of like very powerful, um, uh, encounters with, with that. Oftentimes people think that that is a sacrament that you can only get when you're on the verge of death. But, um, I, we have a great priest back home who he's constantly offering anointings Um, for physical or even um like emotional and spiritual yeah. needs, yeah, and it's it's such another wonderful sacrament to take advantage of um yeah that one that one spring when I had pneumonia pretty bad. I got anointed, <laughs> and I think that's what yeah that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> that's what got me through <laughs> <laughs> um, i yeah
0: i um i was i had a a class um uh, on like it's like the basics of the Catholic place it was one of earlier the seminary classes, and we were going over the sacraments. And when we were on the anointing of the sick, my professor, she said that we need to be as a church, like overflowingly generous in Mm. the gift of the anointing of the sick as a sacrament. Um, and I never thought about this, but she said, she's really working on getting priests on board with anointing people who suffer from addiction. Mm. Um, and, and being anointed over and over and over again. Yeah. Just like they would go to confession probably for Mm. this addiction. Don't just give them confession. Give it, Absolve them of their sins and then anoint them to double the grace that they can receive. Um, and there were times, um, you know, for Frodo and Sam that it was, there was like an extra outpouring, you know, of mm-hmm. grace that kept them going. Um, or Hel- battle of Helm's deep, right? 300 versus 10,000. somehow they still won. Um, because something was driving them. There was a force behind them. They, they were strengthened. Um, so, if the odds right now do not seem to be in your favor, um, maybe maybe run to the sacraments. Actually, no, not maybe. Run to the sacraments <laughs> um, as, as your refuge. Run, don't walk. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and, you know, if you've never read The Lord of the Rings, and now you're interested, like, do it. Do it, do it, do it. Um, I I've reread them a couple of times, and... when Missy and I were talking about doing this episode I'm like I just need to reread them again like and there will always be something good to so yeah um at least I know and I'm sure you could probably talk about this for about another three (laughs) hours um but we'll save you that and maybe we'll loop back sometime and talk about other yeah we'll see so um well thank you Missy it was great having you here um uh and if you guys like this episode please let us know how Uh, what you liked about it. Um, Any questions you might have for uh, myself or for Missy um, or for Nate. He's not here, but, you know, he's always have questions. Um, Or what's your favorite part from The Lord of the Rings, whatever. Any of that. Um, I know Nate ragged on me last episode about the whole, like, comment, like, share thing. But, I don't know. I think it works. Maybe. Maybe not. Tell me if it does. So, anyways, from... uh, I'm Brother Francisco from All Good in the Brotherhood.
1: I'm Missy from... All good in the sisterhood. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Sisterhood's still good.
0: Absolutely. Great. Um, And we hope you all have a wonderful and God-blessed day.
1: Thanks. Bye.